Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Holy Father, we thank You for the blessing of being able to call You our Father through the blood righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that in ourselves, that is, in our flesh, dwells no good thing. We know that the only salvation that we have is in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way that we could keep the law Not only were we not born with a clean slate when we came into this world, but we had already struck out in Adam when the whole human race fell in him. There's none that doeth good no, not one. We had all gone astray. We were together unprofitable. There was nothing but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores from the crown of our head to the soles of our feet. And all of our righteousnesses were nothing but filthy rags in your sight. And yet, in sovereign mercy, known only to you, we believe that you chose us in Christ before the world began. An astounding truth. And why you did not bypass us as others and leave us to our just desserts. The answer lies only in the depths of thy wisdom and thy mercies, which are new every morning, along with the greatness of your faithfulness. And we know these truths more in our heads than we do in our hearts. And yet there are times, our God, that you do seem to come to us in a rich way and bless our hearts to be tendered by thy grace. And it seems as if that you are very nigh at hand. And we thank you for those special occasions. And pray, our God, that you might see fit 
to visit us more frequently. Even as we sang for our Savior to not only visit us individually, but even collectively in our plantation. Bless us to sit under our own fig tree. Bless us to ingest the free-flowing milk and honey that drops out of the branches of the tree of life. Yes, our God, we are in great need. And we look forward to that day when we shall be with you and we shall be like our Lord Jesus Christ and we shall see him as he is. We ask that you would bless us now as we endeavor to study your word a little more and that you might speak to the hearts and to the souls of each one who hears. Give hearing ears and an understanding heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we're looking in Galatians chapter 5. And last Lord's Day, we spent our time <clears throat> looking at verses 1 and 2. The next section that I've kindly uh, uh, looped together, uh, I'll read those in verses 3 through 8. I test, for I testify against every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you, that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. So we see here that Paul uh, tells us once again that any individual that is seeking not only circumcision, but any work at all in order for any part or the whole of his justification, then that individual is in debt to the whole law. You cannot have it part it must be one or the other. Even as we have noted time and time again, 
from uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 6, where it tells us that our salvation is either by grace or by works. It cannot be one or it cannot be a combination. It has to be one or the other, and we know that it, has, it can only be by the grace of God. So one cannot add anything. He can add one part, one thing, not even circumcision, to the work of Christ for his salvation. Like I said, the debt is to the entire law service. And that is to be kept. And all one has to do is go back and read uh, just the book of Leviticus alone. And you find the impossibility of keeping the law. And regardless of the civil and ceremonial law, in other words, uh, you can just do away with Say, well, uh, we don't have to keep the civil law. We don't have to keep the ceremonial law. Well, we just all we do need to do is keep the Ten Commandments. You can't even do that. You can't even do that. Look in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. No, excuse me, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We'll pick up at verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I want to pause for just a moment because that verse in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6 uh, has been very special to me uh, for many, many years. Uh, the Hebrew rendering of that is Jehovah our Elohim, Jehovah One. And if you probably remember that the Hebrew word Elohim is for God in plurality. But here we see the Trinity in this one verse, Jehovah. If you remember, Jehovah is the... Uh, Hebrew tetragrammaton that they call it. In other words, the four uh, consonants, almost said vowels, the four consonants uh, for I am. And that's what Jehovah is, I am. And so you see here that Jehovah, our Elohim, Jehovah one. So you see the plurality of God and the singleness of God at the same time in that one verse. And when I discovered that some 50 years ago, uh, it's been quite precious to me ever since. 
course, all of the Word of God should be precious to us, but that has a unique twist upon it. Anyway, the verse 29 again, And Jesus answered him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Now you can't tell me that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of each year that you're constantly thinking about and bestowing love upon God. You just don't do it. None of us does. None of us do that. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God. How do you like that? One Lord, one God. There is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength. You know, some people say that uh, God, you know, the, the, the triunity tri of love. Well, here you have uh, quadruple. <laughs> anyway, uh, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. Sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. But just that one passage alone plainly tells us that not only can we not keep the ceremonial law, not only do we not keep the civil law, we don't even keep the Ten Commandments. And if you want to see how difficult that it is to keep not only the civil law of the Old Testament, just try keeping the civil law today. In other words, the next time you're in your car driving, make sure that you look out for every speed signal and make sure that you never go over the speed limit one mile. And if you'll try that even on your way home, most likely you'll find that, uh-oh, <laughs> I didn't make it. I failed the test. Now some of you don't have as, far, don't have as many different uh, changes of speed as others but you'll find that uh, just trying to 
be consciously aware of keeping that one law, that is the speed limit, you'll find that it's a good thing that uh, the law officials usually give us a five-mile grace period. Because you'll be driving along, you'll be thinking about something, next thing you know, you're, you're over the speed limit. Or if you might be on the interstate driving down, uh, and the next thing you know, you're in the outside lane and you're going too slow. And you need to be going faster and different things of that. In other words, uh, there have been various times that I've tried to uh, make sure I didn't break the speed limit. And it was just, uh, it was a chore to drive. The best way that I have found to not break the speed limit is use that modern contraption, cruise control. One of the best things that ever uh, happens to a vehicle for long time, long-term traveling, in my opinion. But anyway, I showed you the impossibility not only of keeping the Ten Commandments, the ceremonial law, or even the civil law of the Old Testament, the just the just the, the the amount of work that it takes to keep any law, even your own law, even your own law. If you say, "Well, I'm going to read so much." I'm going to spend 15 minutes every day in devotion. Well, there'll be some days you won't even make 15 minutes. There might be some days you go over. But my point is, you say, well, are you trying to be a legalist? No, I'm not trying to be a legalist. I'm just showing the impossibility of even keeping our own laws. Now, if you say my devotion period is somewhere around 15 minutes, <laughs> you've kind of given yourself some leadway. But you see where we're trying to come, uh, trying to show. Paul says that every man that is circumcised, he is in debt. He is in debt to keep the whole law. But then he says, Christ is become of no effect unto you whosoever of you are justified by the law. In other words, if you're justified by the law, you don't need Jesus. He's of no effect. And he who seeks to be justified by works or by the law that individual has his mind and his whole uh, being focused on himself, not on Christ. But then we come to the questionable phrase there, you're fallen from grace. Now, if you remember what we have pointed out 
beginning in chapter 2 of verse 16, and uh, pointed out uh, a time or two since then, what we uh, noted with regard to the principle of law or the principle of works. I'll take us back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 27. There's so much confusion along this line. I think it's very needful to stress this point over and over again. You see, there are people that say, and the Scriptures declare, by the way, that we're justified by grace. And Scripture says we're justified by blood. And the Scripture says we're justified by Christ. But I find more preaching focusing on being justified by faith in such a way as to indicate that what they mean by that, that man is justified by his personal belief. But when you see that faith as a principle just like grace is a principle, or being justified by blood, you're talking about being justified by the person and work of Christ. And, <clears throat> and that brings us back again to Romans 3, 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Alright, he's going to talk about two different laws here. The law of works, nay, but by the law of faith. And the law of faith says that you're justified by the person and work of Christ. The law of faith says you're justified by blood. The law of faith says you're justified by grace. The law of faith says you're justified by Christ. Now keeping that in mind, back in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4 there, fallen from grace is not falling out of salvation, but it's falling out from this work, this uh, This principle of grace. This law of grace. And we see the contrast all throughout the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now, how did we get into the grace of Christ? 
How did we originally get into the grace of Christ? You remember 2 Timothy 1.9 where it talks about that we uh, talk about Christ who has saved us and called us, or that is God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's where we first got in grace. But when the minister comes along and preaches the gospel and God opens your heart to it, then you enter into this worship of grace. This economy of grace. You're no longer under the law. You're under grace. Not from the standpoint of being born again, because you couldn't even hear the gospel if you had not first been born again. You couldn't believe the gospel if you were not first born again. So when Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. In other words, Paul called them into the, the true worship of God. The grace of Christ. The truth of the gospel. He said, you've, you've gone to another gospel instead of the gospel of grace. And like I said, we saw that in Galatians 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So we see there again the contrast of faith and law. Faith and law. Or the person and work of Christ versus the law. In Galatians chapter 3, in verse 2, Paul says, This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's he talking about here? This economy of the New Testament, the economy of the Spirit versus that of the law. In other words, we serve God in the Spirit, not by the works of the law, because God has called us out by His Holy Spirit. He's blessed us by His Holy Spirit, and we need the Spirit uh, for God to continue to work in us, to live and serve. So you see here again this contrast of Spirit versus law. Galatians 3.3 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? In other words, verse 2, Spirit and law. Here is Spirit and flesh. Again, this, this economy, this, this principle of faith, this principle of Spirit, this principle of grace. Also in Chapter 5 and verse 17, we saw the, we see the same thing where he said, 
For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But we'll see more about that when we get to it. But there in Galatians 3, 5, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. In other words, Paul was not giving them the Holy Spirit in regeneration. But he was ministering the New Testament worship of the Spirit versus that of the law. Or grace versus that of law. Or faith versus that of works. In verse 11, chapter 3. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And we expounded on that a little bit when we were in chapter 2, showing that uh, we live uh, in the person and the work of Christ. You say, well, I'm, I'm living by my faith then you're living by your works. And you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 where it says, for we live... Uh, uh, <laughs> can't even re remember a verse without the Lord, can we? Or I can't. Uh, for we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, we walk in the things by the grace of God. Galatians 3.23 Wherefore, excuse me, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Now, if that's talking about belief, did not the Old Testament saints believe? Abraham had faith. Sarah had faith. Noah had faith. Jephthah had faith. Though if we didn't have the book of Hebrews, it'd be hard to... Hard to uh, believe that Samson had faith while Abraham had faith before he even left Ur Chaldee he didn't have to wait to Genesis 15 6 in order to have faith so when it says here in Galatians 3 23 before faith came we were kept shut up under the law what's he talking about this New Testament economy of faith. This principle of faith versus works. Grace versus law. So before faith came, before the New Testament economy came, before Christ came, we were kept shut up under the law. So here again we see that contrast 
of the principle of faith versus the principle of law. As was the law of faith or the law of works that we saw in Romans 3.23. Excuse me, 3.27. We see the contrast or the, uh, the two side by side again in Galatians chapter 4. Verses 22 and 23. There he's talking about the bondwoman versus the free woman in an allegory. And in 20, verses 24 and 26, he talks about the two covenants. The old covenant and the new covenant. And here in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 4, when he talks about falling from grace, he's not talking about somebody falling or losing their salvation. He's talking about somebody that is turned from worshiping under grace to going back to worshiping under the law. Just as when you, when you see the whole uh, context of the book, and get the understanding of the, the, of the principles of faith, then you realize and know that man doesn't lose his salvation. And then in verse 5 of, of chapter 5, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Well, we do that through the Spirit, but we also, we're doing this as we're living in this hope of righteousness, trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to see later on in this chapter, and I'll give you, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit and give you a sneak preview, that walking by faith is not conjuring up some type of emotion or feeling thereby you know whether you're walking in the Spirit or not. Walking in the Spirit is simply walking in obedience to the Word of God. Now we're going to enlarge on that when we get further into the chapter. But he's talking about that we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We are in this New Testament economy. We're living in the latter days. But what are we looking for? We're looking for the coming of the Lord. And I tell you, beloved, I can testify with great clarity that I don't always have some emotional surging of energy through my body when I think about the coming of the Lord. Sometimes I'm in despair and I, I'm looking for the coming of Christ. 
Sometimes I am rejoicing, looking for the coming of Christ. Sometimes I'm feeling sorry for myself, looking for the coming of Christ. But I'm living in this New Testament economy and I have great expectation that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. I have no idea how God communicated such assurance of the resurrection to Job. Can you think of that? You know, uh, Bible scholars tell us, and I think most are in agreement, that Job may be the oldest book of the Bible. Well, if so, how did he get the idea that God is, that he was going to see Christ, see God with his eyes in his flesh? God communicated that to him some way. But beloved, God has not communicated that to me in some way like he did Job. I have places like 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. Though there are some that try to say all of that took place in 70 A.D. I have John chapter 11 where our Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. But before that He said, I am the resurrection. John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, I have Scripture on top of Scripture on top of Scripture on top of Scripture. And I haven't even mentioned the book of Revelation where there's an abundance of Scriptures there. No, I didn't have some special insight by inspiration as Job did. But I have a better testimony. You say, well, how could that be? You remember... Uh, where Peter said that talking about uh, being on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah appeared there to Peter, James, and John and, and the Lord. Well, what, he, what did he say in First Peter? I think it's First Peter. might be Second Peter. Uh, I won't stop and turn there. But he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Wouldn't it have been something to been there at the Red Sea when the waters parted? Or the Jordan when they walked over on dry ground? Or after seeing the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace? Or Daniel in the den of lions? Or some of the other miraculous happenings of the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Say, boy, I wish I were there. But Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy. What is that? This book, beloved. The Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures.
And it is through the Spirit. It is through the testimony of the Word of God as we live in obedience that we wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The hope of righteousness by faith. Are you saying that, excuse me, by righteousness by faith, that we are righteous by our belief? No, we're righteous by the person and work of Christ. And I would that modern ministers who profess to be reformed would grab hold of this instead of leaving people. I, I, I hear uh, a lot of reform uh, preaching by Baptists and Protestants that talk a lot about justification by faith but if I were a person in the pew and didn't know any better than in some of their theology, I think I would be thinking they're saying the same thing that many Arminians are saying. That you have to believe. And when you believe, then you're justified. Well, when you believe, that's when you receive the justification. But we were justified in the person and work of Christ which was given to us in Him before the world began. When Jesus said it is finished and He paid the debt, it, the debt was either paid then or it wasn't. And that's what justifies us. That's what makes us not guilty before God. Being not guilty in our conscience is when we believe. But not the legal aspect of justification. Well, enough of that. Also, we see the, the contrast again in verse 11 of Galatians 5. There's two more verses I need to, we need to look at. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. There he's making the contrast of law and works between circumcision and the cross. I mean, excuse me, law and faith. <laughs> law and faith, or law and grace. Circumcision and cross, and the cross. And later on in uh, chapter 6, he said, God forbid, in verse 14, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We do not worship that wooden object. The reason I have trouble with the song, uh, The Old Rugged Cross, is because it focuses on that wooden object. But I enjoy Isaac Watts when I survey the wondrous cross, because there the word cross is used to talk about the person and work of Christ. Now I guess you could take the old rugged cross and force yourself into that. I've tried to from time to time. But the, my point is, Paul is not talking about 
the wooden object when he says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about he's glorying in the person and work of Christ that is portrayed by using the word cross. And so we see that from Galatians chapter 1 through Galatians chapter 6, this contrast of law and works, grace and works, faith and works, spirit and works, spirit and circumcision, law and, uh, I mean, circumcision and grace, circumcision and faith. Now, I belabored that point quite a bit when he says, you're fallen from grace. But I hope that clarifies it and simplifies it for you and you'll not allow some worksmonger to come along and say that you can lose your salvation. Because there's some folks that think you can lose your salvation and gain it again and lose it again and gain it again and lose it again. That's miserable. That's miserable. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness. We, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness. In other words, well, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I don't think I have it in my outline, but I keep thinking about this. I'm going to pick up in verse 13. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. Excuse me, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself, literally the Spirit Himself, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Notice, living in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit of God, you're going to be suffering in this present time. But what's going to keep you and sustain you during this time? Is it not by looking to the Word of God? Is it not by trusting in what God has said and given to us? Verse 19 for the earnest expectation of the creature 
literally creation because the word creature here is the same word as creation in verse 22. Therefore, I'm going to read it as such. For the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, not only the creation, the whole creation, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. In other words, as we're living in this New Testament economy and worshiping under the New Testament economy by the faith and the grace of God, we are looking forward. And as he says there in Galatians 5, 5, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. Beloved, someday you're going to be as righteous as Jesus Christ. It'll be an imputed righteousness, not an inherent righteousness. What do you think of that? What do you think about being as righteous as Christ? Have you ever tried to think about what they would be like? You know why you cannot comprehend it? Because you've never been that way. You don't know how to experience it. We have it by faith now. But I can assure you, beloved, someday you're going to have it by sight. You won't need faith then. Because faith will be turned into sight. You won't need hope then. Because as we read there in Romans 8, why do you hope for what you have? You only hope for what you expect to receive. You won't need hope then. You will be experiencing the reality but now we anticipate it in this economy of grace that God has given us in the person and work of Christ. And we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. And beloved, remember what Jesus told Peter I believe it was Peter or John 1. I forget which now. Yea, rather blessed are they that believe and have not seen. You're blessed because you believe these things though you have not seen them as yet. Or was it Thomas? 
I forgot which one. Let me, for the sake of somebody that may be out there on the internet, let me go back and look that up. He told Thomas, John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You're blessed. You're blessed. You haven't seen the resurrected Christ. You haven't seen the nail prints in his hand or in his feet or the scar in his side. But you believe. Yea, you're blessed. Well, we have more to say about this. <coughs> this afternoon we'll come back through uh, to this verse. Lord willing, this afternoon, let's pray. Holy Father, help us to really appreciate this economy in which we live and the blessedness that is bestowed upon us in the blood righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enlarge our souls that we might breathe in by faith the richness, the glory, and the beauty of the finished reality of the person and work of Christ and in, in anticipation of being made like Him when we see Him as He is. In Jesus' name, Amen.